Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 144. In this episode, we are going to be celebrating the global read aloud. Before we get started, uh, we wanted to remind you that you should definitely check us out on Patreon. We released recently an example of what we're doing on Patreon. We do books to movie adaptations. We're doing unabridged off topic, and we're just doing a host of things over there for with lots of great extra content. So definitely check us out on Patreon. Before we get started with our main discussion, we want to start the way we always start with our bookish check-in. So, Jen, do you want to start us off? So, I am reading a book that just came out yesterday. This is Roshni Chakshi's The Silver Silvered Serpents. I'm actually reading an e-galley that I downloaded from NetGalley. So, thanks, NetGalley. This is the sequel to The Gilded Wolves. And so, it makes it very difficult to talk about it without spoilers. So, I'm just going to give you the barest of outlines. The Gilded Wolves is about this group of late teens, early 20s kids who are trying to bring off all these heists in Victorian, mostly London. And they live in a magical world. There are all these magical houses that are very regimented and pretty snobby. So it's like really hard to get into the upper echelon of each of these houses. And the leader of the gang, Saverin, really wants to break into the top of the hierarchy. And so the heists are all working toward this this thing that he is convinced, this ancient object that he is convinced is going to just crack open all of these magical secrets. And then he's going to be able to get in there. So that's on the first book. Things happen that really impact book two, but I don't want to tell you because if you have not read The Gilded Wolves, you should, of course, read that one first. But yeah, so it's, if you like a heist novel or a heist movie, they're a lot of fun. I appreciate them because she switches between the characters' perspectives and they are all quite diverse in multiple ways. So they are racially diverse. We have LGBTQ representation. We have people who think a little differently. There are people from different classes. So it's just, it's really interesting to see these distinct points of view develop around this heist. So anyway, that is Roshni Chakshi's The Silvered Serpents. It's great so far. So hopefully I'll be posting a review soon. That sounds great. It's been a while since I have read anything that is even any type of fantasy. Mm-hmm. I am planning to read The Bell soon because Ashley, that's her recommendation for me. So I am, pl- that is on my TBR, but the TBR, let me tell you, the TBR stack is getting higher and higher and I'm reading less and less due to all the things that are happening in our job and stuff to right now with online school and all that stuff. So I, that is on my TBR. Ashley, what are you reading? So I am reading Marco Shiro's new one. It's called Each of Us a Desert. And this one also came from NetGalley. And it 
was published on September 15th. So it's brand new. And it is this, I haven't read very much at all. And so I'm not, there are things I'm not quite sure about yet, but Sochil is the main character and she is essentially a storyteller in this, it seems like a post-apocalyptic world. And she gathers people's stories and collects them and then has to do things with them. And if she doesn't do that, there's these consequences for their society. And so she's living this very lonely existence and carries a lot of burdens and responsibilities for her society, essentially. And really, I mean, that's kind of all I know so far. It is a very interesting setting. And it also is an interesting integration of language. So a lot of the a lot of the narration incorporates Spanish words throughout, um, almost as if their language is different than than the way that our English is today. And so that part is really interesting as well. So I really I love Marco Shiro's stuff. I think Anger is a Gift is a book where he just takes on some really important issues and he promotes activism and he promotes acceptance of a lot of different types of people and representation of those people. And so I just am here for the kinds of things that he promotes as an author and as a person. And so I'm interested to see where the story goes. So again, that's Marco Shiro's Each of Us a Desert. And my children are very loud. But oh. That's it. I can't wait to read that. It sounds like it may be the one when we saw him at the Nova Book Festival, he was talking about a science fiction book that he was writing. And I wonder if this is that. Yeah. What was that about three yeah. years ago? Yeah, yeah. That could, that's probably right. Because it is, like I said, it seems post-apocalyptic and there's definitely some, either it's magical mm-hmm. realism or sci-fi or something, because there's some supernatural things happening. That sounds awesome. What are you reading, Sarah? So if you are following my sweaty walking stories. I love them so much. I love your sweaty walking stories. They make me happy. Well, it is really nice because I've been meeting friends super early, like at five to walk. And then my husband and I, if we don't, if I don't do that, we've been walking together. So I don't, I haven't been listening as much as I had during the summer, but I do appreciate being able to walk with others. So, um, but when I do walk, I've been telling you still what I'm reading and I'm currently, and I know Ashley is too, but um, I'm currently listening to The Switch by Beth O'Leary. And guys, oh my gosh, it is so good. I try to relay that in my stories, but I'm huffing and puffing and also sweating (laughs) profusely. So it might not come across, but I love this book so much. The audio is fantastic. In fact, Ashley and I were talking about it today and it's just, there is a theatrical element to the narration that is just great. So there are two narrators. This is a story of a a younger woman in her 20s and her grandmother is told in alternating perspectives and there are two voice actors who do each of the characters voices and it is it is both it's tender it's funny it is i mean it is like it hits your heartstrings and i mean they just do a great job in the narration in fact what there are several times when a phone call is happening and the whoever is whoever is narrating 
during that chapter, whoever they're calling, the person they're calling sounds like they're calling and they're talking through a phone line. I mean, it is just, it is great. So, and I'm really enjoying it. And, and sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I would like to walk by myself so I can get a little further, but it is great. And it's basically about the relationship between the woman and her grandmother, there are some family dynamics. There's been a tragedy in the family that everybody is working through. And I mean, it is just, I mean, I love it. And I wanted to also say that I received this through the ALC program through Libro FM. They, Libro FM is awesome. They provide this service that we can listen to brand new audiobooks so that we can talk about them. So I wanted to make sure that I let you know that I listened to it through that, but it is great. I don't know if Ashley, you want to add anything? I know you love it. Yeah, I am loving it. So I saw it in Sarah's stories on <laughs> Unabridged. And I was like, oh, I'm listening to that too. And I, it was, it's just exactly what I needed. And I think part of the thing that I really love is the relationship between the granddaughter and the grandmother. I just don't, I haven't read a, there, I haven't read very many books that have an elderly perspective. And I am loving that here because I just think she is spry and compassionate and so in touch with her community and with her, the needs of her family. And I, and so I love that on the grandmother's side. And then the relationship between them is just so affectionate and loving and and yet they're dealing with some really hard things and so I feel like all of that is just really captivating so yeah all the things that you said Sarah I am really struggling with reading right now and I have I I just listened to Alexis Hall's boyfriend material which also came from Libra FM and I loved that Mm -hmm. and then I'm loving this one so they are both of those have just been exactly what I needed yeah And just so you know, the grandmother is entering the online dating world and it is a hoot. So I love it so much. I really (laughs) want to read that one too. And I've heard great things about O'Leary's first book. Um, Is that the flat chair? I've heard things about that one too, but I hadn't read it. And I will be, I'll definitely look now because I am just really impressed by the characters in this one and the dynamics between them and the alternating perspectives. I think all that's really great. Awesome. Yes. Those, I think those are all very good recommendations. Even it's book is check-in, but also good recommendations for our listeners. So we are now going to let you listen to a conversation we had last year about the Global Read Aloud. This is our the last year, Pernell Rip, who kind of hosted and created the Global Read Aloud, has said this will be her last year. So we wanted, in honor of the Global Read Aloud and all the, the books that we've read because of it, we wanted to leave you with this conversation we had about last year's books. The books that we are going to be discussing in this episode are The Marrow Thieves, The Bridge Home, and front desk. So we hope you enjoy this conversation. Give it a listen and then we will be back for our Give Me One in just a moment. Hey, this is Jen. We are here today to talk about the three of the Global Read Aloud books for 2019. So we are going to start with Sherry DeMoline's The Marrow Thieves. So here's a brief description This book, which is the young adult GRA selection, is a compelling and beautifully written post-apocalyptic novel. Here's the description from the Global Read Aloud website. 
Humanity has nearly destroyed its world through global warming, but now an even greater evil lurks. The indigenous people of North America are being hunted and harvested for their bone marrow, which carries the key to recovering something the rest of the population has lost, the ability to dream. In this dark world, Frenchie and his companions struggle to survive as they make their way up north to the old lands. For now, survival means staying hidden, but what they don't know is that one of them holds the secret to defeating the Marrow Thieves. So what did you all think of the Marrow Thieves? Sarah, what did you think? I really enjoyed this book. I thought the writing was beautiful. She just has a way of putting together words that just were really I was really able to picture everything she described. I did think that it was a slow burn. I I was interested in the story and wanted to see how it turned out, but it was not a book that I was running to mm-hmm. to to read. But I really did like it. And by the end, I mean, I fell in love with some of these characters. Mm-hmm. And I thought the characters were really well drawn. And I really felt connected to the story. So I liked it. I thought it was a great book. Ashley, what did you think? Yeah, I really loved this one. I love post-apocalyptic stories in general, and I thought that it did a great job of, I mean, she just does such a great job of painting the tapestry of that environment and what it takes to survive in that world, and I loved the camaraderie that came between the people and the way that language and cultural cues were what they were using mm-hmm. to identify who was friendly and who was dangerous. And I also loved the commentary about discrimination and the message that when we let things get out of control, we can really make terrible choices in, in an environment where people are fighting to survive. People can make really terrible mm-hmm. choices toward other people, and they can do that often by dehumanizing them. And so I think that there's a lot of commentary on things that are historical you know, historically have happened, but then put a place in this post-apocalyptic world where she controls the rules and kind of sets up the world. And so I really loved that because I felt like she gets to tell her own story, but weaves in both the history of of the people groups and also um, the ways that, that that can happen in society. And, and I love that. And I also loved all the commentary on the environment. I agree with what Sarah said about the slow burn. I think that for a post-apocalyptic book, which often is really fast paced, Mm -hmm. this one, the pacing is not particularly fast, but I didn't think that that made it any less of a rich story. I unreservedly loved it. (laughs) I I loved it so, so much. Uh, I thought the power of story woven through the book just had a huge impact on my reading. I read a lot of American Indian literature in college and beyond, and it harkened back for me to books like Leslie Marmon Silko's Ceremony, where the story is just such an inherent part of the book and the culture. And so that combined with the reading, and I mean, on page nine, I just have to read this quotation. I feel like I'll want to do this a lot because I was marking quotations like, oh, every other sentence. But this one, out here, stars were perforations revealing the bleached skeleton of the universe through a collection of tiny holes. And surrounded by these silent trees beside a calming fire, I watched the bones dance. This was our medicine, these bones. And I opened up and took it all in and dreamed of North. I read that and I kind of got giddy because I just <laughs> thought the right, oh, mm-hmm. I was just 
swept away by the writing. And so I loved it. I, I sped through it. I did find it to be compelling. So I am a huge fan. I will say we were chatting before we started recording about this book. And we were talking about how it would be to do this book with high school students. What do you all think about this book with that age group? I think that it would work great. I'm sorry, Sarah. I just, I just <laughs> I cut Sarah off there. Um, I I think it would be a great lit circle choice. I think that it would work well for kids to take home and read. I do worry about if you're trying to get through the entirety of the book in class, mm-hmm. I think that would be a challenge. I think it would be a challenge to read the whole thing aloud. Mm-hmm. And I also think that if you are asking students to do all the reading on their own, but in class, that that would be really hard. But I think it would be a great book if kids can take it home Mm -hmm. and read it. I think it's a good fit for that. And I think that it is, as we will be discussing, there's so much in it that Mm -hmm. people could discuss and that students could connect to their own world. And so I think all of that is really great. Um, So that part I really like. And I I do think going back to the Lit Circle idea, um, Jen was saying that, you know, it speaks to some of the Native American Mm -hmm. texts, but also it connects to post-apocalyptic texts. I Mm -hmm. kept thinking about The Road by Cormac McCarthy, which I adore. (laughs) And it has some of that same, like, I mean, the quote that you read, Mm -hmm. Jen, made me think of how many times I felt that it spoke to that stark but gorgeous language that is so fitting for that kind of world. And she quotes that in the beginning. So I think, yeah, I think that was definitely on her mind. Yeah, so I feel like in... When you think about literary, it, it, it functions, it, it is very much part of the literary tradition. Mm-hmm. And so it could pair really nicely with some other texts that are maybe a little bit more canonical mm-hmm. or that are serving the purpose for, um, you know, for the teacher and for thinking about themes and that kind of thing. And I think that would be a great mm-hmm. option. Mm-hmm. Sarah, what do you think? I agree with you, Ashley. I think it would be difficult to read aloud. I think that because it's not, it's not extremely plot driven, right. which I think those books make for a better read aloud yeah. for students. And there's so much that you almost have to be able to study and look at mm-hmm. as you're reading with the language. I think it would be great to use in writing class yes. to discuss the way that she mm-hmm. forms sentences, the way she uses figurative language. I mean, I think it is like an example that could be used a lot of places. I also agree that if students could take this home, I really, what really stood out to me is all of the um, more politically driven mm-hmm. commentary, but also that I always look for books like this for my kids, my students, because a lot of times in the place that we live, students aren't living with their blood relatives. And I really love the theme in this book mm-hmm. about what makes a family yes. and the way that they created their own family. It's why I always love the outsiders. And I think this. I love that community that they built together, all of the characters and the way that they were family. Once they, once they were together, they created their own family unit. So I think it's a really good example of kind of answering that overarching question, what makes a family? And it doesn't necessarily have to be blood. So I I like it for that. And I actually think um, The Bridge Home, which we're going to discuss later, also does a really good job of tying in that family theme and what makes a family and how you create uh, a support system. So, so I mean, I think it has a lot of really good merit in the classroom. I just think for reading it aloud, it would be a difficult, a difficult book to sustain in that capacity. Yeah. 
I agree. I think it's it's a challenging book. Mm-hmm. So I do mm-hmm. think students would need support with it depending on their level. And I think some of the things that I loved most about it would require some teacher support. Mm-hmm. Like that like that beautiful quotation I read, it is gorgeous. And it, the writing is like that throughout, which is not always easy to parse. And again, I just, I don't know. I, it would be interesting to see how it worked as a pure read aloud because I do worry some of that beauty might be lost, mm-hmm. but then I love poetry read aloud as well. So I, I don't know. There's something nice about being able to see it on the page. Yeah. For me, I mean, it, but for me as a learner, I guess it's something for me to be able to see it on the page and like create that image in my mm-hmm. head, but also having it in front of me. Whereas with a read aloud, unless each student has a book, yeah, um, I guess you could do it that way. But yeah. but I I don't know. I think something might be lost a little bit in the mm-hmm. read aloud. I do like the idea of the lit circles. I think like mm-hmm. Neil Schusterman's Dry mm-hmm. would be a great post-apocalyptic book focusing on environment. That could be a great pairing that Mm -hmm. could have some, you could have some rich discussion. And that book's a little easier. Mm -hmm. It's longer, but it's a little easier. And so it might be nice to have some different levels. Yeah, and and I was thinking like Mindy McGinnis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Drink is a much easier read, but Mm -hmm. hits on some of those same ideas of what makes a family, Mm -hmm. how do you survive, who do you protect, and um, and comments on the environment as well. All right, well, let's dig in a little bit. So one of the things I think, we all thought was intriguing was that post-apocalyptic situation and what has led to this world and the way we see those steps manifesting in what has happened. So what did you all think was most compelling about the steps that had led to the situation Frenchie, the protagonist, is in? I think kind of what going back to what Ashley said with the global warming mm-hmm. and the way that the earth has been changing and I think also just the the elements of indigenous culture mm-hmm. that are represented in with the dreams and the the kind of their spirituality mm-hmm. and uh, the way that they view the earth. I think that was really compelling and I really liked that. It also, before I forget, because I will forget because it's that time, <laughs> it's that way right now. Um, but I, what I really liked also is the way that it reminded me of the book Station Eleven. Oh, yeah. Because it's a post-apocalyptic world in Station Eleven. In this case, people have been wiped out by disease. But it's this group of people who are moving along and they keep gathering other yeah. members as they go. So I was thinking about that, too. Uh, I don't even know if that's really on topic of your question, okay. but I just want to make sure <laughs> yeah, I said be it before <laughs> we made our round around. I know. <laughs> now I want to be like, also the dog stars, like yeah. Peter Heller, would be a great choice. So I, I do think we can make a list yeah. of, yes. of different options, depending on whether you're taking the post-apocalyptic route mm-hmm. or lit circles or whether you want to speak to the indigenous literary tradition, because mm-hmm. I think both of those would work really nicely yeah. as a compilation of choices that then the kids can select. Yeah, I was looking for the quote about how they knew how to heal the earth and just needed mm-hmm. to have the opportunity yeah. to do that again. I bet Jen has that quote that we'll share with you <laughs> here in a second. But I think that what I really loved was this idea that we have to take things as they are and we wake up every day and we put one front in front of the other. And I loved that that statement alone was repeated a lot. Um, Demeline did, a, you know, said that a lot, that sometimes you have to protect yourself from certain knowledge in order to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. And also that you carry on. I mean, I think that people carry on and I feel like that is really amazing to me. And that, that stood out to me that, even though things were so horrendous in so many ways. I mean, the world 
is falling apart, but also there's this horrifying genocide happening. Mm. And so it's two different issues, both of which is really profound and really awful. And they're having to face both of those things every day to get out of bed and keep going. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that is really amazing. And so I, I loved that part. And then I also thought, I loved where this is the part where Frenchie is thinking about Rose and his love for her. And he says, how can anything be as bad as it is when this moment existed in the span of eternity? How could I have fear when this girl would allow me this close? How can any, how could anything matter but the small miracle of having someone I could love? And I just love that because I think that it's so rich to show that that is what, that's what makes humans amazing is that we are able to revel in these simple joys of companionship and that in those moments, even when situations are dire, people can feel so hopeful. Mm-hmm. I finally found the quotation. Yay, I did that thing where you, I wrote down too many. It's on page 193. <laughs> Clarence says, closer you get to the coast, the more water's left that can be drunk. The middle grounds, nothing. It's like where the bomb landed and the poisons leached into the banks. Everything's gone in all directions till you get further out. I didn't know what to say. This is Frenchie. I knew that had been Clarence's traditional territory. Sorry, was all I could manage. If he heard me, he didn't let on. All we need is the safety to return to our homelands. Then we can start the process of healing. I was confused. How can you return home when it's gone? Can't you just heal out here? Mig and General gave each other knowing looks and Clarence was patient in his answer. I mean, we can start healing the land. We have the knowledge kept through the first round of these blasted schools from before that, when these visitors first made their way over here like angry children throwing tantrums. When we heal our land, we are healed also. Then he added, we'll get there. Maybe not soon, but eventually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that is the part that is so rich. And the novel is her ability to comment mm-hmm. on the history of oppression and genocide yeah. and to speak to how those traditions that do honor the land and honor the animals and honor the earth, that those traditions sometimes are not, that, that these other tantrum throwing Mm -hmm. forces come in and override them but that doesn't mean that they die away and I think that's really amazing and and hopeful and something that we all are needing to hope (laughs) to 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 hang on to all right first I'll just apologize if you hear my dog in the background we are recording at my house I want to say that the quotation Ashley read Like there were several times in this book where I just sort of spontaneously broke up with sobs because the ideas were so beautiful. And so if you can picture me curled up under a blanket in my recliner, like crying because of the beauty and hope of a book that is so desolate. I also agree that I think her use of the traditions to create, like the fact that they call the places where they're harvesting the marrow schools, that they're Mm -hmm. going back Mm -hmm. to this this thing that there was a quotation that said, we were a product and that wasn't going to change anytime soon. And then forget the art in the Indian and see only the commodity. And that is something that is returning, that has already happened, Mm -hmm. that they have already survived and now they're bringing it back. And they're calling these horrible places where they're killing people's schools because they're taking advantage of this earlier historical time when they were taking advantage of them. And I think that, I mean, her inclusion of that gives this opportunity for students. I mean, I think a lot of our students probably have no idea about the residential yeah. schools that were that actually did occur in our history. And I think it gives a great opportunity to shed some light on 
those dark times that that are not part of this dystopian novel. Agreed. Yeah. I thought it was interesting as well <clears throat> that it's in Canada because I think yeah, I just think it's interesting to give kids that global perspective. So this these things happen in the United States as well, but mm-hmm. I think you bring in the Canadian tribes and I think that's interesting and then to watch the way that the United States is taking advantage of Canada because the United States has become uninhabitable everything's pushing north. So I th- yeah, there are so many political conversations I think that you could have with students, historical conversations that you could have with students, and yet it's all wrapped up in this post-apocalyptic package, I guess. So, all right, anything else we want to say about that? Okay, well, I think we've decided to avoid spoilers and move on to the next book. So we, we, I should say, we are going to avoid spoilers for all of these books. We want you to have the full experience of what <laughs> happens. So we are going to move on now to Padma Venkatraman's The Bridge Home. And this is the middle school choice for the Global Read Aloud. So here again is a description from the GRA website. Life is harsh in Chennai's teeming streets, so when runaway sisters Viji and Ruku arrive, their prospects look grim. Very quickly, 11-year-old Viji discovers how vulnerable they are in this uncaring, dangerous world. Fortunately, the girls find shelter and friendship in an abandoned bridge. With two homeless boys, Muthi and Arul, the group forms a family of sorts. And while making a living scavenging the city's trash heaps is the pits, the kids find plenty to laugh about and take pride in, too. After all, they are now the bosses of themselves and no longer dependent on untrustworthy adults. But when illness strikes, VG must decide whether to risk seeking help from strangers or to keep holding on to their fragile, hard-fought freedom. So what did you all think with The Bridge Home? Ashley, you want to start this time? Sure. I I really, I read this one first of the three, and I really enjoyed it. I right away was captivated between about the love between VG and Ruku. I thought that that was, I I love books about sisters or sibling relationships. And so I really enjoyed that. And I felt like, I also really liked the commentary about why children wind up on the streets Mm -hmm. and how that happens and what that means for them and how they survive. And so I felt like that was, like Sarah said about the Marrow Thieves, that it's something that a lot of students that we teach here in America don't have a great mm-hmm. sense of, and certainly not kids. Homelessness in general is something that a lot of our students don't know a lot about, but certainly an idea that you could be homeless without your parents is something that they, mm-hmm. that's foreign to them, I think, but that is common in a lot of countries. And so I thought that that was all really rich. I also loved, like we talked about with the Marrow Thieves, I loved the commentary on family like Mm -hmm. Sarah said in the beginning and that family is who you choose and that is what makes your family is the relationships that you have with each other and the things that you'll do for each other Mm -hmm. and I think like the summary that you read Jen that there is a lot of commentary there about individual choice but also group choice Mm -hmm. and how you navigate your individual desires with what the group thinks is best. And so I think when you get into that with the illness and who do they trust and not trust, I think there's a lot that's great there for discussion Mm -hmm. about how do you make those hard choices. Uh, I really did. I like this book too. I enjoyed the the story about the sisters. I'm going to have to disagree with a lot of what Ashley said, so I'm not going to repeat everything. I did think that 
I was surprised when I started it. I thought it moved really quickly, but I thought it was really, uh, really sad for a global read aloud pick for the mm-hmm. age group that it's targeting. I think it could be really devastating for some students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I thought that the way that the, the sister relationship was developed in the book was just beautiful i thought it i thought i thought a lot of this book was just really beautiful and again the way that the family the kids created a family and looked out for each other and protected each other i thought that was beautiful i just thought that i just think about my son who's in middle school and him reading it and i Mm -hmm. just think not that kids shouldn't read hard things but i just feel like this could be devastating because Mm -hmm. it's just really hard wrenching and I don't know I, that's the only thing that I was hard for me for, with the book knowing the the age group that it was mm-hmm. selected for that's all mm-hmm. yeah. I just I mean I, I was really I was really sad mm-hmm. yeah I agree I and I'm not sure of the distinction we were talking about this too and I don't think any of us is clear on the distinction between middle grade and middle school middle grade we'll talk about the middle grade choice next but I do think it We talked about Refugee last year, and that book also had sad things, but it felt like there was more of a balance. Mm -hmm. And I think this one, because there's a single storyline, the things in it, of course, have so much importance placed upon them. And so while you felt the sad things in Refugee, it felt like they were kind of paired with more hopeful outcomes. And in this one, it, it... it was really hard. Yeah. I will say I loved some of the messages about people finding strength and acknowledging that people can often do more than you expect them to yes, be able to I do. Really like that too. And I thought mm-hmm. that the author's emphasis on the fact that Ruku, who had some sort we aren't sure, but she has some sort of developmental disability and VG sometimes does not give her enough credit. And then you see the times that Ruku is really the strength that VG needs, or she is the one who is able to find a way for them to improve their circumstances. And that she is one of the ones who helps them build a family was really beautiful. And so there were a lot of things I liked about it, but I do agree. I think teachers will have to be careful about the students that they have in their class and whether they can handle this book. So you might want to know your students before you choose to read this book aloud, because I think it could, it it definitely trigger warnings, I guess, Mm -hmm. with this one. Yeah, I think that, like you said, Jen, about Refugee, the difference was that there were a lot more characters, Mm -hmm. and really there was not, there was death in that book, but it was not as profoundly impactful Mm -hmm. as the the one in here. So we're trying not to spoil for you all, but yeah, you want to, you know, read ahead, because I I was shocked too, Sarah, Mm -hmm. knowing the age group, I wasn't expecting what happened. Mm -hmm. Same, same. And I think... There's a lot of the characters carry a lot of the responsibility for what happens. Mm-hmm. And I think that is really hard for kids yeah. too. Yes. That a lot of the choices that they make cause, not cause, contribute to mm-hmm. the outcome. And they're going to have to live with that. Yeah. And I think that that is really heavy mm-hmm. for kids. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, at, at this, the way that my child, my oldest child is, there's, yeah, she would not be able to handle a book like mm-hmm. this at that age. So I think that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, my son is 12, and I don't think I'll be giving this to him to read and at in this some point. Ways, I, in some ways, I think it would be comforting for kids to know the thing that's going to happen. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, I know you have to be careful with that with teachers because you tell a kid, 
the thing that's going to happen and then they want to tell everyone. It's a weird impulse, Mm -hmm. but one that people definitely have. (laughs) Yes. And so, but I think that this is a book where if they knew that that was what they were reading toward, for example, if a dog dies in a book, Sarah Mm -hmm. and Jen always tell me. Yes. (laughs) I just want to know. I want to know. I want to know going in. Uh, similarly, like if it's young kids, I usually want to know about that before mm-hmm. I read the book, even though, and that doesn't mean I'm not going to read them, but I like to know those particular mm-hmm. things ahead of time. And so I do think this is a situation where for some groups of kids, knowing what is going to happen might make it more manageable to read. Mm-hmm. So I thought some of the other things, so Sarah mentioned that this book has like the Mary Thieves, an emphasis on family that is not your blood family. And I thought another connecting theme was the power of stories mm-hmm. and how telling your own story can be a way to take ownership over the decisions you've made, the life you have, the things that have happened to you. And so I thought that was beautiful. I also just thought purely the description of them going into these heaps of trash, the being the rag picker was really powerful. I first confronted that with Catherine Boo's Behind the Beautiful Forevers, which is definitely not for this age group. But that was the first time I had seen it. It's nonfiction, but it's told as a story and you see what these kids' lives are like. And so I think that the author does a great job. But Venna Traman's uh, depiction of that lifestyle and then the fact that they have to go out and find someone to buy it who's not taking advantage of them. I thought would make students have really have to confront that. I think it would be a great opportunity for research. So I think there's a lot you could do with this book with a group of students. And I think it would it would be a strong read aloud. I do think this one would be would work well. It's not terribly long. And I think though the characters are certainly a big part of it, it is quite plot driven as yes. well. And I actually think it would fit well for ninth grade. Yeah. Or kids who are, yeah, I mean, even 10th, I think, because the kids <clears throat> don't see, they are young, but they don't seem so, like, like Wonder. Yes. With, mm-hmm. um, or, or refugee. And I mean, refugee, refugee, absolutely. Refugee was great with high school. I mean, I think this one would be good with high school. It would move quickly, you know, it'd move quickly for them. You could read it aloud, but it has a lot of really rich mm-hmm. commentary that you could discuss about the impact of trash, about the way that societies handle that, about why kids wind up on their own, about how we can form support groups like, you know, like the one that comes up in this book, like how do we help kids who wind up in those situations? I think there's a lot of really great discussion that could happen there. And then those age groups would be better prepared for some of the hard things that happen in this book. Because I think it's interesting because of the way, I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. It's interesting because of the way that it's written. You do not expect the hard things to come the way that they do. It is not a gritty book Mm -hmm. in its style. And so I think that in some ways, some of the really shocking things that happen are to me were more surprising because yeah. of the way that it's packaged and I mean I didn't feel tricked or anything I think that all of it was very realistic but I again I think that when you're thinking about age groups that like mm-hmm. older kids would be interested in the story they would be interested in all the commentary but they'd also be better equipped to handle some of it. I mean there are both scary things and sad things yeah. that happen that yeah when I, I I just didn't think a, a whole lot about the age group when yeah. I was reading but now that you're talking about it I think that that is something that would make it easier for older readers mm-hmm. and inviting enough to be where they could read it and well just listening to you describe and talk about the book you could actually you could do that with the lit circle with Mary thieves and your stronger readers could yeah, be Mary yeah. thieves and your 
your um, not as strong readers could do the bridge home mm -hmm. because they both have a lot of the same themes. Yeah. I mean, even the commentary yeah. on trash and like taking yeah. care of the environment mm -hmm. and the bridge home. I think that would be, that could be really good. Yeah. And I think, Lengthwise, they're probably pretty similar. I didn't really pay attention to that. I definitely flew way faster through the bridge home the than the marathon. There's just a lot more words on the page, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and it is also denser, so yeah. I think that they're not going to feel the same. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, Jen, Sarah and I are the slower readers here, so we can speak to the slower reader. The bridge home is one ninety four, two thirty one. Oh uh, yeah, but it, it's not. I mean, they're close as yeah. far as length, like page length, but for sure both depth of text mm -hmm. and the physical number of words on the page. <laughs> it's small print. The, the, the Marathese is very small print, and then the Bridge Home adds some nice big space on the pages. But again, I think that's nice, because yes. when you're thinking about lit circles, actually those kinds of things matter a lot to mm -hmm. kids. And so the fact that they present as being similar helps kids make a better choice when they're self-selecting. Yes. And they both have a lot of opportunities for extension into yeah. things that are happening in our environment right now, things that are happening politically in our yeah. environment right now. I think there's a lot of room for application of what they're reading. And so, there's a lot of social service projects yes. that could go with either mm -hmm. of these stories, yes. which I think is great. I also thought the discussion of religion and faith mm -hmm. in the Bridge Home was interesting. Yeah. And I think that's one more opportunity if you have students interested in that angle on the book, that could be really interesting for them to research. Because certainly in India, there's not one religion. And you see, I don't want to give anything away because some of the things you sort of find out as the book is progressing. But there are characters uh, who practice different religions in the book. So. Yes, and I, that's another thing too that um, adds some complexity mm -hmm. that I was not anticipating yeah. mm -hmm. in the the text when when I just looked at it and kind of judged it by its cover. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. all right. Well, anything else you guys want to do before we move on to our third global read aloud book? Okay, so our last one is the middle grade choice this year, which is Kelly Yang's front desk. Again, here's the description from the GRA website. Mia Tang has a lot of secrets. Number one, she lives in a motel, not a big house. Every day while her immigrant parents clean the rooms, 10-year-old Mia manages the front desk of the Calavista Motel and tends to its guests. Number two, her parents hide immigrants. And if the mean motel owner, Mr. Yao, finds out they've been letting them stay in the empty rooms for free, the Tangs will be doomed. Number three, she wants to be a writer. But how can she when her mom thinks she should stick to math because English is not her first language? It will take all of Mia's courage, kindness, and hard work to get through this year. Will she be able to hold on to her job, help the immigrants and guests, escape Mr. Yao, and go for her dreams? What did you all think of Front Desk? This one's up for grabs. I've already alternated. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'll start. <laughs> I loved this book so much. I loved Mia with my whole heart. I thought she was this awesome character. I loved that. I love that she was a girl, mm -hmm. that she had all of this, this um, drive and passion, and she did all of this stuff for her parents. And she really, I mean, to me, she just kind of managed a hotel on yeah. her own almost. And I just, I love this book so much. I thought it was, I mean, I think it definitely feels younger, but yes. I think older kids could enjoy it. Yeah, agreed. Because... There's just so much good information, and I love that it was set in the '90s mm -hmm. because I did not know, I did not know the disparity between immigrating in the early '90s uh -huh. versus. I thought that was really interesting how Kelly Yang included 
uh, that disparity that if you immigrated during the early 90s, mm-hmm. you were set up this way. And then if you immigrated later, there was a it was different. And also the differences in China during that time, the way it changed so much. I just thought it was great. I, I, I absolutely adored this book. And it's really hard for me to gush about middle grade mm-hmm. reads sometimes mm-hmm. just because sometimes I don't think they have the depth. But I thought this had a lot of depth without feeling heavy and... I just loved it. I'm. I want my son to read it so bad. The only thing is, there's a girl there. It's 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 a bright cover with a girl on the front, and sometimes he is he doesn't like he wants his protagonist to be male. Mm-hmm. I guess that's just the age, but I think he would love it. Yeah, I unreservedly loved this one. <laughs> I I thought it was sweet and also powerful, and that Yang really incorporated so many different she just gave so much commentary on so many different Mm -hmm. things and like sarah said it does not feel heavy it is very hopeful but it also feels genuine yeah Mm -hmm. and she just hits on so much and i think what i really loved was the commentary about cultural nuances and how hard those are for people to learn and how that can really cause people major problems Mm -hmm. and especially adults And so I loved that because I think that's something that we take for granted sometimes or just forget when you live in the place where you are from. I think we forget about how difficult that is for immigrants. And then I also just loved, I love, I mean, like Sarah said, I loved Mia Mm -hmm. and I loved the idea that kids can do anything Mm -hmm, and that they, that they love to work. That, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I just thought about my own life experiences and how much I, by the time I was in middle school, I wanted to work. I liked to work. And sometimes as an adult, I wish I'd taken it easy, you know, (laughs) but I think when, and I, and I, I think that's why adults say that to kids in America, because they want kids to be able to be a kid, Mm -hmm. but there is a lot of commentary in in there about how a that is cultural that's specific to not not exclusively america but it is a cultural and sort of western idea and then also that that's not always what kids want and that kids find great satisfaction and purpose of being Mm -hmm. by being able to work and to help others and to make a difference and so i just loved all of that i loved the relationships between all of the i loved the weeklies who live at the motel and the connection with them. And I loved how they helped the immigrants who needed a place to stay. Mm-hmm. And they had their whole system in place. I mean, all of that I just thought was amazing. And I also loved that the owner of the motel was also Chinese. Yes. And that he harbored all of this resentment. And that he... And he was wealthy. I mean, I just think, I think sometimes we make sweeping generalizations about people. And so I love how it spoke to just because you're an immigrant doesn't mean that you accept others mm-hmm. or that you don't have any, any kind of prejudice and that those situations like money can make a di- big difference yeah. in how people see other people. And so, I mean, I loved that. And then I, I loved with pairing with that about his son mm-hmm. and his son, Jason, and how Jason is having to navigate his way in the world where his parents have all this prejudice and he has this wealth and yet he's having to figure out who he's going to be Mm -hmm. just like Mia is having to figure out who she is going to be and position herself both in relationship to supporting her family but also to being her own person. 
What about you, Jen? I loved it so much. Oh my goodness. I was gushing about it to my husband, just telling him everything I loved about it. And I was, it was one of those. And then this also happens and it's great. And then I just think, so the discussion of poverty and wealth in America, there's a roller coaster metaphor that her friend Lupe has that I think is brilliant. I thought the discussions of race were absolutely brilliant mm-hmm. and I just think that Mia's perspective on it all, because she is somewhat innocent, but she's not innocent. And she sees a lot and just is so interested in doing what is right. And yet, like you all said, not in a way that's overly simplistic or she's not a perfect kid. She messes up all the time. And so I think Yang does such a good job of creating a realistic character who still is thinking about the world, coming out on the side of what is right, acting to make things better. I think is so powerful. I also loved her relationship with her parents and particularly her mom, because I think as a mom, sometimes I want to protect my kids and you see me as mom wanting to protect her because she doesn't speak the language. She's not a native English speaker. And yet because she has this protective impulse, she's limiting me as choices. Mm-hmm. And I thought mm-hmm. I, I, I I wanted to dislike her mom, but I couldn't because I feel like sometimes as a mom or as a parent, that's what you want to do. And yet you see Mia struggling against this limited path that her mom has set before her. Her mom thinks she has to be in math because she's not a native English speaker. It reminded me, I used to teach Amy Tan's mother tongue, an essay that was in a bunch of anthologies in uh, dual enrollment class. And Amy Tan says the same thing, and she's this famous author, but she talks about how everybody thought she was going to go into math, and she thought that she wasn't good at English or writing for a long time. And so I think that's, yeah, that was really illuminating for me as well. I I just, man, everything about it was just perfect. I just felt like it was perfectly balanced. It was both, as you all said, appropriate for the age group, Mm -hmm. and yet Mm -hmm. I do think older kids could Mm -hmm. read it. I think, I think our high schoolers last year Mm -hmm. would love this book. And I think this would be a great read aloud. It is a little longer, but I don't think it would feel longer because Mm -hmm. there's that great, again, balance of character and plot. And I mean, again, there's a really awesome theme of family. Mia Mm -hmm. has her blood relatives, but they also create this family Mm -hmm. with the weeklies and the immigrants who come in and stay. And they all just have this sense of community. So, I mean, I I didn't think about it as I was reading them, but as we are discussing these, I just think all three of the books have have some commentary on how you yeah. make a family and how you create support for yourself and the people and how you include the people around you. And I think it's really, mm-hmm. really beautiful. I wanted to say I loved Mia so much and I loved how everybody who came through, she tried to help them in some way. Yeah. I, I think about the one immigrant, I can't think of his name at the, off the top of my head, but he was working in a restaurant and he said a woman punched him. And she said, why? And he said, because she, she said, what did you say? He said, I only said hi. And she said, well, what did you say? And he said, I said, hey, baby. <laughs> and he had been saying, hey, baby, to everybody who came in because he didn't know. It's that cultural, yeah. the, the difference is that he had heard that and then he said it. And she then made him a whole pamphlet mm-hmm. of, of common phrases and um, things that are in English that mean different things. Oh, and, yeah, because he was also yeah, scratching yeah, his nose yeah. with his middle finger. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And yes, I, I thought that was so precious. But also, I mean, it just shows how Mia, her outlook on the world. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's a great character for kids to see, that she has these hardships and she has 
these trying times, but she is constantly trying to do better and make mm. and make other people's lives better. And I really just love that. And when she gets the petitions and yeah. all, I mean, yeah. she's just great. I just I loved her so much. I have not read a character that I have loved so much for a while because uh-huh. I just thought she was perfect because she was also flawed. Mm-hmm. Yes. And sometimes she made the wrong choices, mm-hmm. especially when she was contemplating breaking into a house to get yes. a pencil. <laughs> but I mean, I understood her motivation. So I yeah. So I was, was going to say, you can understand her motivation regardless <laughs> of what choice she makes. I felt like I could understand what, why she was doing what she was doing. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I felt like going back to what you were saying, Jen, about her and her mom, that, I just loved how I think that it's a great book for kids to see because I think that it shows parents' perspectives mm-hmm. also and why they say the things they say and that how even when those things are hurtful to the kid, they're also often done with the kid's best interests mm-hmm. at heart or with a desire to help. I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, it comes out with her mom that really she realized her own vulnerabilities yeah. were impacting what she was supporting or not supporting Mia doing. And so I loved that. And I also loved all the letters. I, mean, I think this is just great from an English teacher perspective. I loved all the letters that she wrote and the act of revising and using the thesaurus and rewriting with the purpose in mind. Because I think that the author included that because it's commentary on yeah. Mia's character and her mm-hmm. desire to not be a bike but be a car instead <laughs> as, a, you know, as an English speaker. But it also shows that that's the hard work of writing and that that work does bring about change. And yeah. I think that's what we hope in the world is that our words can make a difference and that we really can impact people's lives. And so I think what she did for Hank, what she does mm-hmm. for her family, all the times that she uses her words in order to try to help someone mm-hmm. is really amazing. Yeah. All right. I think that wraps up our Global Read episode. We would love to know what you think. If you read these books or if you use these in your classroom, we would appreciate hearing your perspective. And again, we encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right. We hope you enjoyed our conversation on the Global Read Aloud and that you enjoyed listening to that. Before we say goodbye, we want to end the way we end every episode with our Give Me One. And today we are just going to do Give Me One New Thing That You Have Tried or Experienced in the Last Little While. Ashley, do you want to start us off? <laughs> yeah, sure. I struggled with this one. I, I would like to say morale is not terrible right now, but it, maybe that's not true. So I was like... <laughs> thing? Do I have a new thing? I was searching around, but one that it has been a TV show series that we're enjoying is American Gods. So my partner and I both read Neil Gaiman's American Gods. It's one of the few overlaps in our reading experiences that we both love that book. And so we both love the book read it, we both read it a long time ago separately. Like I read it probably, I don't know, eight years ago or so. And my partner read it significantly before that. But anyway, we were not, I I hear that it used to be more available, the show, the series, but I, we were not able to watch it um, until recently. And we got it for $5, just season one. So we won't be able to watch season two. But anyway, there was a deal and we were able to purchase it for $5, the season one American Gods series. And it is 
phenomenal. So it's been really interesting to read. It incorporate or to watch. It it incorporates it it carries a lot of the things from the book that I really loved, but it also incorporates a lot of things about race in America that I think have been really fascinating. And so I mean, I yeah, I'm captivated. I think it's great. So one of the main guys that is in a show that Jen and I both loved and watched called The 100 based on a novel. And we actually recapped episode one and Patreon has a character named Lincoln who is played by Ricky Whittle, who also is the main character in American Gods. So I would watch American Gods just for that. <laughs> Honestly, that was why I picked it up or watched it so quickly because I really like. Him. He is an excellent actor. I mean, I have just been amazed by that show. I'm really impressed. Well, and I will also say Jillian Anderson alone is worth watching American Gods for because she is always phenomenal. And I just love her. She's so, yeah, she's amazing. I, I love Ricky Whittle's character in The 100. He was my favorite character. So. Mm-hmm. I'll have to give that one a try. Then what's something new that you want to talk about? I will make it a brief story, but it's a funny story. So I am reading about pop culture and entertainment all the time. And inevitably, someone will recommend new shows and I will put them in our TiVo and record them. And then I go back to watch them when I have time. Well, my husband and I were trying to find something new to watch. And so we were looking at our TiVo and Kirk said, well, what's this 800 words? And I said, I have no idea. Did I set a TiVo? I, I guess I set it to record. So we watched it. And as we started watching it, I was like, I have a vague memory of reading an article about how great this show was, but it's over. It was a three season show that was on from 2015 to 2018. So it's done. So we're watching it on this bizarre channel whose name I don't even remember. I've never heard of this, this network before. It's just this very mysterious thing. It also has these oddly placed advertisements. So right in the middle of a scene, it will go to a commercial, like in the middle of like, this huge dramatic discussion, it just flips anyway, but it is about a father and his two children, Shay and Arlo in Sydney, Australia, the mother dies and he just, the dad decides that he needs a change. So he moves the whole family to New Zealand in this little town called Weld that is really super eccentric. And it has all of these really funny people And he used to vacation there when he was a kid. And so he's sort of trying to recapture a more innocent time. It is really funny. The the title comes from the fact that he writes a newspaper column. It's kind of like an editorial thing. And each, each installment has exactly 800 words. Exactly. And so he uses that as the framing device for each episode that he's sort of reflecting on the lessons learned or what has happened to his family. And yeah, so it's really sweet. I still have no idea where... I found the recommendation, but it's kind of Gilmore Girls-ish. So yeah, it's quirky. I really like it. And it's it doesn't require, as school is beginning, I have needed shows that have not required a lot of thought. And it is one, I'm not saying it's a dumb show, but it's one that you can just watch and enjoy and not have to think about, not dwell on, which I have desperately needed. So That sounds great. Yeah, yeah that sounds, sounds really good. Yeah, I actually think you guys would both like it which I think it's a rare show that all three of us would like. So, yeah. Oh. I know. So, Sarah, how about you? What's your new find? Well, I'm going to break the rules like Ooh. one of us always does, and I'm going to give two things. <laughs> <laughs> Should have let you give one for me. One thing is pretty, like, 
only if you like this sort of thing. So the first thing I want to talk about is Olive in June. Olive in June is basically a nail polish manicure company that like makes these really awesome um, nail polishes and manicure kits and all of this. And I was looking for something for my daughter and I to do together. So I decided that I was going to order it. And oh my gosh, we love it so much. We have done each other's nails. We have, we've spent time together and we picked out the colors together and I just really liked it. And the nail polish is great. It stays on a really long time. And we ordered we can, I can post in the show or we can post in the show notes, but we ordered a kit that came with all the things you need for a manicure and like seven polishes. And it has been super fun to use. And she was so excited to get it in the mail. We she was watching the mail every day. So it was just really fun. And I just really appreciate having those moments with my daughter when we can't really go and do a lot of things. Like we can't go to the nail salon. We can't do that, but we were able to do that at home. So that was super fun. And I really like, I think the product is really good. So that is Olive in June. And then the second thing I wanted to talk about is a documentary that my family watched on Netflix that I think that, um, I think that often it's hard to find a documentary that kids will watch. And this is the speed cubers on Netflix. It's only 40 minutes long and it is just a really beautiful documentary about two speed cubing champions. And when I say speed cubing, it means the Rubik's cube, um, Max Park and Felix Zemdigs. And it's, a, I mean, like there's all this footage that's shot at like the world cube, like world championships and, um, it's just this whole kind of subculture that I was not aware of, but it's a really beautiful story about like these comp competitors, but who also become friends. And it is just really precious. And I liked it so much. It just came out in July on Netflix. And I think that it is a great documentary for families to watch. And we just really enjoyed it. It, it made me want to just shed a tear because it was just a great story. And you get to know both Max and Felix and about their competition against each other, but also about the friendship that they've made over the years they've been in speed cubing. And it's just, it's fascinating and it's quick and it's just a really great story. So that's the second thing. So it's the speed cubers documentary on Netflix. And then if you're into things like nail polish and all of that stuff, the olive in June kits and nail polishes, they've been really fun for my daughter and I to do together. Okay, so I think that is going to wrap us up for today. We want to thank you for listening and again remind you to find us on the socials at Unabridged Pod and also check out the brand new Patreon content that we are creating all the time. There's tons of stuff over there. Check out our Patreon page and we want to thank you also for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.